Hi everyone, I'm Kushni Totram, Global Head of Institutional Business at Coronation. And joining me today is Peter Lejeur, Head of uh, Global Frontier Markets at Coronation. We decided uh, to kick off 2018 just trying to identify some of the great investment opportunities that we've had over the course of last year and just some of the great things we're seeing in the markets going forward. Welcome, Pete. It's good to have you back. Thank you, Kirsch, and uh, great to be here. Um, if we just look at the frontier portfolios that you manage, you manage two portfolios, um, Africa Frontiers and Global Frontiers. They had a fantastic 2017. Our portfolios, our Africa portfolio returned um, 37% for the year and the Global Frontiers 36% for the year. Both funds outperforming their respective markets quite substantially through some awesome stock picking. Um, can you maybe just run us through what have been the key drivers of those returns? Yes, indeed. Um, so 2017, what, it has been a big turnaround. I think if we go back to January this time last year, it was quite a, a miserable, depressed air around frontier markets. And, you know, we were coming out of a very brutal investment environment. The big change over the year has been a recovery in a number of markets that were extremely depressed. And most of those were in Africa within global frontiers. You know, a year ago, there were still a, a number of frontier markets that were doing well. And the likes of Pakistan, Vietnam, Argentina had all performed um, reasonably well. And the ones that were under massive pressure were, were Egypt, Nigeria, and Zimbabwe. I mean, Zimbabwe was extremely depressed uh, 12 months ago. And, and, you know, Nigeria was still dysfunctional in terms of its currency. And, and Egypt had just floated its currency and you know, was in, a, in the throes of massive inflation as a result of that. And just in terms of the currency markets, when we chatted about that, I'd, I'd like to drill down into some of the stock pick names that, that have worked well. But let's just talk about the dysfunctional currency markets, because I think that's quite important. Over the last two years, we've had a meaningful exposure to three markets that had very dysfunctional currencies. Uh, we've managed our way through two of them very successfully, and the third one, Zimbabwe, looking very, very positive. And I think that not only the stock picking, but being able to have exposure to those markets during what was a very uncomfortable time has benefited the portfolio quite substantially. Can you maybe talk us through what it was like managing the portfolio through those difficult periods and what gave you comfort in terms of how to handle it? Out of all of the experiences within these markets, I think the process of, of having a, a currency that freezes on you is one of the most distressing, both as a portfolio manager and very much for, for clients. No one likes to, to have their capital trapped. When you feel that you've run out of options, your default is always to say, look, this isn't the market for us and we don't need to be taking this risk. That's proven to not have been the correct investment um, philosophy. If we look at, at Egypt, in Egypt, prior to the devaluation, we went to maximum 40% of portfolio. What had happened was, you know, in country, a lot of the equities were selling at distressed price levels. So you have an incredible opportunity to buy decent sized positions in great companies that short term are, are fighting a very difficult economic environment. Um, but generally, your, your good management teams turn that to their advantage and they come out of that um, even stronger than when they went in. You know, here we are 15 months down the line from a flotation in Egypt. That market has flown as a result. The one stock that we're very big in there, Eastern Tobacco, has been an incredible performer for us. You know, over one year, it contributed 12% of our performance. So, you know, a third of our performance from, from a single stock 
is a remarkable outcome over 12 months. Um, and, and it's still a position that we're very positive about. Um, you know, we've just spent a lot of time with, with the company last week. Similarly, Nigeria was, again, dysfunctional. It had a, a black market rate that was blowing out. There were very few ways of taking capital out of the country. And today, we've got a, a dual exchange rate mechanism, and there's decent liquidity and confidence has returned to that market. And, and when that happened, you know, a lot of equity prices tripled uh, in, in local currency, providing very strong dollar returns. The one problem child that we still have is Zimbabwe. Um, and again, I mean, Zimbabwe a year ago, you know, you had equity prices on our biggest holding, something like an Econet, you know, traded down to just above 10 cents. It had a rights issue at 5 cents. Today it's at 70 cents. And yes, you can't sell, sell the stock and easily take your money out the country. But whatever metric you use to value it, it still has provided a decent return. And we're on the cusp of some interesting times for Zimbabwe. And just talking about that, that probably leads very nicely onto my next question. We've seen some really positive uh, winds of change on the political front come through a couple of the African countries, Zimbabwe being one, Angola being another. You've written about it in our recent um, correspondent. Can you maybe just walk us through what sort of the thinking is, what it, what it feels after 40 years to actually have this meaningful change happen on the continent? I mean, it's, it's a phenomenally exciting time. And, you know, I, I never thought looking at these geographies that, that we would see you know, any one of those events happening to any great likelihood. And then to have three countries within two to three months all go through substantial changes. I mean, Angola is the first where its leader of 38 years has, has left the building. And a lot of the crony wealth structure is now being attacked. Zimbabwe was, you know, six weeks later... And again, we're now seeing various mechanisms in place to target historical fraud, to repatriate ill-gotten gains that sit outside of the country, and a general message that's now a lot more investor-friendly and a lot clearer. And then South Africa, we're also in the thick of it, um, where there's a new leader of the ANC and a change of 10 years of leadership, which has definitely lost its way. And you know, the state capture has been incredibly damaging. Three countries that are all very close together look like they'll be, you know, setting themselves a new path and a new direction. And I can't see how that doesn't but provide for a far more positive outlook. And we are seeing it in terms of equity prices already. And it's going to be a, a fascinating time ahead. So before we delve into uh, just some of the areas where we're seeing good opportunity, I think one of the things, which is a very important point to make, we've got our Africa Frontiers portfolio that is coming up for its 10th year since inception, and Pete's been managing it since day one. And what's quite phenomenal is that the portfolio has uh, delivered a return of about 10.1% per annum over this period. It's outperformed the Emerging Markets Index, which a lot of people, I think, when they look at exposure to Africa or frontier markets, think of it as the ugly sister and not top of mind compared to, to the Emerging Markets counterpart. But it's delivered phenomenal returns for an investment portfolio. I don't think people can continue to ignore it any longer. I couldn't agree more, Kirsch. I shouldn't sound too surprised myself because, you know, I think the reason why I would sound surprised is that within those years, we've had some very challenging markets, which are very big in our life. You've had the Arab Spring. You've had a commodity cycle that's crashed very aggressively, oil having gone to very low levels, which for the like of Nigeria is, is very challenging. 
And yet, within that, we've managed to deliver a return which would definitely put us right on the top um, of global emerging markets. Now, and within GEM, you would have had some great opportunities. It's, it's been a decent period if you look at the likes of an India um, and, and what that's contributed. So yes, on a, both a return and a volatility measurement, Africa has been a great place for investors. And today, we don't think we're sitting at very overvalued levels, and, and we think that the opportunity set looks as compelling as ever. But it's required a long-term horizon, and, and let's face it, nerves are sealed through the process. But if you're prepared to sit out the, the volatility and all of the, the headline news, there's great returns at the end of the day. Just coming back to some of the exciting opportunities that we're seeing in the frontier markets, uh, we talked about Egypt. It's got a decent exposure in both the Africa frontiers and the global frontiers portfolio. You've just come back from Egypt. It's looking at, as an exciting country, a lot's changed. Can you maybe walk us through exactly what you're seeing compared to a year ago and what makes this uh, country and opportunity set so exciting for the portfolios? So yes, I mean, that's, we're at a fascinating point. I mean, Egypt is at our maximum country allocation for our Africa frontiers, and it's by far the biggest country allocation in global frontiers at 40% and 20% respectively. A year ago, um, Egypt, you know, the meetings that we had there, we had incredible access. We saw the president, we saw his various ministers, and a very strong commitment to investors was made at the time. All the meetings, though, were around things like your various debt covenants and how you were going to stay liquid and how you could fund working capital because the currency had blown out to the extent that it had. And so it was all risk management. This year, it's turn far more greedy and it's all about returns and where we can deploy capital, how we can raise capital, and the level of excitement is far higher. And it's a textbook case of you know, economic mismanagement to, to decent management where you know, the simple saying goes that if you make easy decisions in life, you're guaranteed a hard life. And if you take hard decisions in life, you're guaranteed an easy life. The previous regime were very much in the easy decisions camp and we were dealing with the consequences of that. And when CC took over as the president, you know, you've had a lot of the subsidies have been cut, the bill's been halved, you know, government spend is, is now under control, you've got a floating currency that works very well, um, you've got a, a civil servant force that's been reduced, and you've got, you know, governments engaging with investors and invested in companies where they're happy to reduce numbers. You know, the meetings we had were with the holding company for some of our big investment positions, and it's the first time I've heard them talk around being happy to contain costs, even if it means reducing headcount, getting rid of non-core assets, you know, all the more kind of capital forming, you know, choir notes that you'd like. Things that you take for, for granted in developed markets, but you don't often see in, in, in some of the frontier market companies. Absolutely. And in developed markets, when you've got governments talking like that, you're buying investments that are on far higher ratings. So in global frontiers, I mean, Vietnam and Argentina are examples of countries like that. We own none of those, those markets because the ratings are just so high. I mean, there, there are a number of businesses on 35 times earnings plus, which, yes, great in terms of the macro environment, but the risk and asymmetry of your return profile far less compelling. Whereas in Egypt, you've now got a government who's doing all the right things, taking very tough decisions, and yet you're buying companies on single-digit multiples coming off a very low base. Um, IMF forecasting growth rates of 5 to 6% this year, inflation coming down from the 30s to the low, single, low double digits. So it's transforming in terms of the, the opportunity set and, and hence our, our very overweight position. I mean, do you want to talk about some of the other countries or even companies that you find exciting elsewhere in the frontier space outside of Africa? 
So again, you know, we've got some very high conviction ideas in, in the portfolio. Um, both Africa frontiers and global frontiers have never been as concentrated in terms of the percentage, you know, the top 10 and the top 20 um, as a percentage of portfolio. I mean, top 20 in, in Africa is 80% and, and in global frontiers it's 70%, so very concentrated. Very much consumer names. I mean, if I look at Global Frontiers, we own a fascinating business in Jordan, listed in Jordan. It's a producer of uh, molasses and shisha tobacco. That's the global leader in that, and that's a, a very high growth market. Tobacco tends to feature quite high in Global Frontiers in, in that it's a very high cash generating business and still rated on very attractive ratings. Brack Bank in, in Bangladesh was a very big position, and, and that's a very large market where mobile banking has been growing incredibly quickly, and we've spoken about that historically in the past. Um, the other smaller business that's done very well for us is the one position we've held in Argentina, and that's the stock exchange in Argentina, which listed fairly recently. And as that country normalizes, a lot of the listings that historically were in New York We'll look to take the opportunity of being local, and it's the market that we think can grow very strongly just in terms of you know capital market listings and also fixed income opportunities. Pete, we've had a really, really strong year in the frontier markets, Africa and global, and you've already talked about the fact that we've got a concentrated portfolio. Are you not worried that valuations are looking a bit stretched to have such a high conviction portfolio? What are you seeing? What's exciting you about the valuations and the investment opportunity set in these different companies? I think that's an excellent question. And whenever you've had good returns, your first reflex is to bank them and to think, look, you know, it doesn't matter what's in the portfolio. Let's put some of that aside now, given how well we've done. First point would be we've come from a low base. So, you know, the three-year returns are probably looking more like flat to positive. Um, in, in Africa and then in Global Frontiers, it's, you know, we've had positive returns, but they're not looking stretched at all. The other point I'd make is if I look at our large positions in the portfolio, we've got significant upside before we hit fair value. So it's not like we're having to force ourselves to stretch our fair value and to see fair value slippage so that we can justify holding those positions. And especially within Global Frontiers, we've got a massive opportunity set there. We are also able to invest in small cap gem stocks. And increasingly, we find very interesting opportunities within that space. So, you know, I think I've never been more excited. I mean, we're three years in. We now have a very settled team. We know the, the universe a lot better. Our network's a lot better. I think it's never looked as exciting uh, if I look ahead. And I mean, just another question. You've traveled quite a number of markets, seeing a number of different companies that the man in the street has probably never heard of. The average investor sitting in London or New York has never heard of. What to you as being the biggest positive surprise, you know, biggest exciting investment opportunity or company that you've come across? Look, I think, I mean, that's the exciting thing about a lot of the markets that we look at. I mean, we visited markets where we thought it was just going to be a housekeeping trip. And we went to Myanmar, you know, for two days just to see what was there. We popped into Jordan on the back end of a trip to Lebanon. Both those markets, you know, we, we had meetings where we came out wide-eyed and super excited uh, in terms of investment opportunities, you know, companies that had not seen you know, investors pass through for, for years. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's always very, very exciting. And Jordan, that was the ICO business, the, the molasses and shisha. And, you know, we got very excited about, by that. Uh, in Bangladesh, again, not a high intensity market in terms of investors having come through, 
in Brack when we met it, it was still in its early days and some very exciting on the ground work having been done on the mobile banking side that had us very excited. In Sri Lanka, I mean, I remember, you know, making a meeting where it was a, a complete afterthought and met an individual who's particularly clear in their mind in terms of capital management and what he was going to do for the business. And again, you know, when you come across an individual like that and you pair it with a good business that has massive potential but just hasn't been well managed, the opportunity is is phenomenal in terms of capital return. So, you know, far more than any of my time in South Africa and even to a degree in, in Africa, you know, the global frontier space has, has delivered those moments where, you know, you felt, look, let me just have that cold shower, give it three days, and then, you know, we'll start working on this because you're just way too excited. And then if you had a, a post-it note um, on your desk that uh, said, the lessons I have learned from investing in frontier markets for close to a decade, what, what would it read? You know, whenever you travel to these markets, you always arrive with a suitcase full of prejudice and perception that, that you carry with you, having been, you know, fed a party line, be it through CNN, be whatever news channel or whatever social media uh, exposure that you have. And in terms of an investment opportunity, by far the biggest opportunities lie where the gap between perception and reality is the greatest, be it both on the upside and the downside. So when something's a sure thing, chances are the reality actually lies somewhere well below it and, and the reverse is, is true. And while not everyone's cup of tea, I mean, for instance, we've done two trips to, to Iran. It's not a market that we are invested in or at this stage can invest in. But when you're there in country engaging, you know, with, with companies and the opportunity set, I mean, I've you know, just never come across a gap nearly as big as that. I mean, the opportunity there just feels absolutely massive and it tends to cast a huge shadow on, on many of the other opportunity sets out there. And by far that remains the case in our markets relative to emerging markets uh, where, you know, we still get very cheap ratings. I mean, let's take Zimbabwe today. A month before the president went, everyone was very righteous about how uninvestable the country is. Six weeks later, if you're not in the country, it's now extremely difficult to, to get equity. And should it be that six weeks make such a difference when you've got somebody who's 94 years of age in a fairly fragile condition? Absolute pleasure, Kirshni, and thanks very much for allowing me the time.